人。This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now, with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. What is the greatest gift that you can give? I want you to think about that as we launch into our program here today on Viewpoint. What is the greatest gift that you can give? In particular, I want to speak to. Men today, I want to speak to fathers, but not just fathers. To all of us, what is the greatest gift that you can give? We know from John three sixteen that in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. We know that the Father, God, so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God gave, the Father gave, but what did He give? Well, it says He gave His only begotten Son. Well, that's what Abraham did. Abraham had a son of promise; his name was Isaac, and God said, "I want you to give him. I want you to give him to me." I want you to go up to Mount Moriah, and I want you to lay him up on the altar, and I want you to give him to me. And when God, when Abraham was willing to give his son, his only begotten son, a promise to God, then God provided an alternative. He provided his own son as an alternative to step in the gap. But what about us? What can we give? What can we provide? The greatest gift that we can give—that's what we want to talk about here on the program today. And I, I hope, I trust that it will be、uh, a heart-opening experience as we chat together today here on Viewpoint. William Wordsworth made a statement that I think is worthy of repetition. He said, "Father, Father, to God Himself we cannot give a holier name." In other words, Father is as holy a name as we can give to God. Why? Well, it's because of what is implicit in the name or word Father. Words have meaning. Contrary to what's happening in our generation, where words are being stricken of their meaning, or the meaning is being changed to distort and pervert even God's own word. But words have content. And they're very important. And some of the things that you and I can give to our children are words, not just nice words, but God's word. And today on Viewpoint, we're going to see just how critically important that really is. If we were to go back to the Book of Matthew, we would find a whole generation. Well, actually, we would find、uh, three times fourteen generations. From Adam all the way up to Jesus Christ, fourteen times three. You can figure that out itself. All of that is set forth in Matthew chapter one. Then we find that the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when his Mary, Mary,、uh, his mother Mary, was espoused to Joseph. 
before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on those things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she, Mary, shall bring forth a son, but you shall call his name Jesus or Yeshua, for he shall save his people from their sin. Notice, Mary conceived, but Joseph was ordered to give Jesus his name. Now, why is that? This is something that I believe that the Holy Spirit has just revealed to me in the last couple of days. How important it is for the father to give the name to the child. Isn't that exactly what the Father God did? The Father God said his name should be called Jesus. So then he told the surrogate father, Joseph, call his name Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus. He didn't tell Mary to call his name Jesus. He called the Father to call his name Jesus. If we were to go back into the book of Genesis to Father Abraham, we would find that God spoke to him specifically concerning his son Isaac that was to be born, the son of promise. And he told Abraham, you shall call his name Isaac. He didn't tell Sarah to call his name Isaac. He told Abraham to call his name Isaac. Why do you think that might be? This is a fascinating picture because God gives men a responsibility with regard to the children and with regard to setting the direction, the trajectory of the child's life. So I have a question for you as we launch into the program today. What trajectory have you set for your children's life? or your grandchildren's life. What trajectory have you set? When our children were born, we gave them a name, each one of our daughters a name. I gave them the name, and my wife agreed. We were in agreement as to the name, but I chose the name. Now, there was nothing authoritarian about that. It just was the role that we had. I was the father. My wife bore the children. And I gave the name to which my wife was in agreement. So important were those names that as the children grew up, we had several uh, special plaques prepared, calligraphied with their names and then with the meaning of their name, and over our meal table on the wall, next to our meal table where we ate most of our meals, was a whole display of the names of every person in our family. And in the middle was Father God. 
Our children were exposed to their name having been chosen, the meaning of their names, and then also surrounding God as their father. What do you think that would mean to them? You might think, well, that doesn't mean very much to them. Well, I think it did. I think it still does. Do they think about it every day? No. Do they think about it once a week? Probably not now. In their 40s. On the other hand, it set a trajectory for each one of their lives. Names have meaning. And it's important for fathers to be involved in taking a responsibility for naming a child. And then, shall we say, the father's responsibility continues on to provide the greatest gift he can possibly give to that child. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Today on Viewpoint, we're talking about the greatest gift that we can give, particularly as fathers and as men, but our wives have to be coextensive with our leadership men. And so as I named our daughters, I did so with the agreement of my wife. And so together, you could say we named our daughters but I took the lead in Mary, uh, naming our daughters. I even chose their middle names. Their middle name was my wife's middle name. Marie. Kathleen Marie, Nicole Marie, Lisa Marie, and Charisse Marie. Why did I do that? To link their understanding and their heart with their mother. so that they would have a continuing and honest relational connection, not just by birth, but by their name itself. God is concerned about our names. In fact, he says he's named us. It says he's even surnamed us. Did you know that? Naming is a very, very important thing. But before we go into greater depths On all of this, I want to open up to you the pain of our Heavenly Father. God is a heartbroken Father. He is. He declares himself to be a Father, but his creatures made in his image are not considering him a Father. Because if they did, they would conduct themselves in a different way. But we're wayward, indeed rebellious. So even those who claim to be his children, his sons and daughters, that is, professing followers of Christ, the Father's only Son, have wandered far from the ways of 
his household. So, the reality is that Father's word is no longer law in the household of faith. So, God grieves. And so today, and every day, the God of creation is grieving. But why is he grieving? He's grieving because those who profess to bear his name have refused to walk in his ways. So, like Israel of old, they've rejected his word, his will, and his ways, while claiming or even insisting upon the blessings of his household. That's a problem. So, both Jew and Gentile believers have been concluded in unbelief and unrighteousness, and yet we were entitled to be grafted into that original family. but we're not living according to it. Have we rejected the Father's gift? In reality, not in theory, but have we in reality through our lives rejected the Father's gift of his only Son? Have we become stiff-necked like Israel in our cavalier disregard of the Father's authority in his own household? We have. And our Father's heart is broken. Absolutely broken. Isn't your heart, dads, broken when your kids rebel against you? When your kids refuse to do what you say? When their kids back talk? Mm. Yeah, your heart is broken. And they do it because of hardness of heart. Our Heavenly Father says they do always err in their hearts. They've not known my ways. And I grieve with that generation. Now, here's the problem. And we're going to tie this right down into the depths of where we are living in our country today. The United States of America, both secular and Christian leaders, sociologists, psychologists, politicians, and so on, are in virtual 100% agreement that fatherlessness is a plague upon America today. Fatherlessness. How could such a thing be? When the family was at the very heart and soul of our country at its founding and continuing on and provided the strength uh, of the country, and now we've virtually abandoned all of that connection, in pursuit of something else. Having abandoned the pursuit of Father God, we're now pursuing something else. And Father God is dismayed, and our own children are left in fatherless abandonment. Right now, fatherlessness is said to be the root of almost all of the negative, painful statistics in our country today, the social statistics, fatherlessness. And, of course, in the black community, 70% of all the children in the black community in America are fatherless. They were born out of wedlock. They're fatherless. 
70%, friends. 70%. Somewhere around 85% of all black children do not live in the home with their father. And that's because not only of massive unwed pregnancy and childbirth, but also because of an extraordinary divorce rate that is the highest of all people groups in the country. You may not like to hear these things, but they are true. And the pain of this generation of black young men and young ladies, of course, is revealing what has happened with fatherhood. It's not a mystery. Have we failed to give the best gift we could give to our children? First of all, the gift of life. That's the the first gift that we give. But then after that, what? Are we just sperm donors? Or does God have something else more profound in the wake for us? And so that's what we want to look at here in the balance of the program here today on Viewpoint. I have a question for you, though. Might our plague of fatherlessness in this generation reflect our rejection of the father in the last generation? So God says to Israel and to us today, if I be a father, where is my honor? A father yearns to be honored, to be respected, to be obeyed out of love and loyalty. It's not pride, but a profound inbred sense of purpose and position that calls for a father's honor. And God the Father is no different. So here is a question. If the plague of fatherlessness in our generation is a reflection of our rejection in some way of the father in the previous generation, generation, then what do we do about it? And that brings us to the greatest gift, the greatest gift that we can give. What did God consider the greatest gift that he could give to be? For God, the Father, so loved the peoples of the world that he created in his image, that he sent forth his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him, that is, accept his salvation for their sin, and walk with him under his government and authority, in obedience, that whosoever would receive him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What a gift. That's what Christmas is all about, isn't it? Or at least that's what it's supposed to be about. And it used to be that we would say we give gifts because God gave his first gift to us. 
Sometimes we still say that, but not as often anymore. And there's a reason for that. It's because of the rejection of the father in the past generation. Now, you might think that's off base. So let's go back to Time Magazine. April 5th, 1993. Time Magazine, April 5th, 1993. The front cover of the magazine featured a cross. In the lower right-hand corner were these words, the generation that forgot God. Not the generation that's going to forget God, the generation that already did. That was in 1993, April, friends. That was 30 years ago. Time magazine made the observation that that previous generation had already forgotten God. In other words, we'd forgotten the Father. And because we had forgotten the Father, we had also forgotten the Son, which was the greatest gift that he could give. Oh, we didn't forget him in theory. We just forgot him in our lives, in our practice, in the way that we lived. And so the balance of the statistics in the country revealed that we had forgotten God. We had forgotten the Father. So how do we bring this generation and the next generation back to remembering the Father? The number one responsibility for that is fathers. That's what who God has ordained to bring that recollection back to our children. And it becomes the greatest gift that we can give. I want to make available to you uh, my recent book, Hearts of the Fathers, How to Leave a Legacy That Lasts. Hearts of the Fathers, How to Leave a Legacy That Lasts. This book is written specifically to help men, fathers, grandfathers, and yes, fathers-to-be, to understand more deeply what God is looking for for us as men, as fathers. And if, as you read this book, you open your heart, and don't just read the words, but receive the import of those words into your life, your life will change forever. And so will your children. You will have an inspiration, a new vision for what it means to truly be a father. For what it truly means to be a father is it requires you first become a son, a son to the Father God. And in doing so, then God can send you forth as a father in the earth to change the course of history. Just as the Father God sent forth his only begotten Son, full of grace and truth, so then you and I, as men, as fathers, can become God's hand extended, his surrogate representatives in the earth, just as he did with Joseph, the surrogate father to Jesus. So he wants to do with you.
It's fascinating. It's mind-blowing that God would give us as men such an opportunity and such a challenge and such a vision if we would just catch it. It would change everything. And that's what this book is about. I want to make this hardbound book available to you. It is a $23 book. Here's for $20 on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. What an incredible gift this would make to fathers-to-be, to fathers that are, to grandfathers. This is our moment of truth, friends. What is the greatest gift that we can give? We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. Saveus.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at saveus.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Again, I want to make the book available to you, Hearts of the Fathers, Living a Legacy That Lasts, a hardbound book, a tremendous gift. Just the picture on the front of the cover is worth it because it transmits into our hearts the message that God is wanting to give to us. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, or you can write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255, writing a check at $5 for postage handling. Now, as I have been saying, uh, we have a series of December packages, special packages for you as our listeners to help get the message out and to make it easier for you to, shall we say, be God's hand extended to get the message out easier. One of those packages is Hearts of the Fathers. Two copies of Hearts of the Fathers will be yours, not for the $46 retail, but for $33. You get two copies, $33. plus $7 postage and handling for the two books. Go to our website, saveus.org, and check out those December packages. There are five of them. There may be some others that you want to combine. We urge you to do that because people say, what can I do? What can I do? This is something you can do. Another thing that you can do is talk to your friends, 
and your neighbors about this radio program and direct their attention to it. Not everybody's going to be excited about it. We know that because they weren't excited about Jesus either. On the other hand, we have a responsibility, don't we? As true followers of the Lord, and that could be a great gift that you can give this season to tell other people about this program if you value it. It may change their life as it has changed so many. As someone once said years ago, you cannot listen to Viewpoint long and not be changed. So back to this matter of fathering. Billy Graham said, a good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society. So I want you to think back to the life of Joseph, friends. The husband of Mary. The surrogate father for Jesus, the Lord of the church. We don't hear very much about Joseph, do we? No. The Bible doesn't give us hardly any information concerning him after Matthew chapter 2 or Luke chapter 2. We just don't we don't hear any much anything else about it. Does that mean that his life was not worth it? No. He is the one who named the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. He is the one who named him Yeshua, Jesus. For he shall take his, uh, save his people from their sin. That's what Jesus meant. God saves. Joseph did that. He exercised his fatherly duty before God and did that, and then he raised that son as his own, and God gave him no further credit, but the credit will be eternal. Some of us as fathers, as men, feel like we get very little credit, that mothers and women get all the credit. There's there's some evidence to support that. But that doesn't mean that you and I should not be carrying out and giving the gift of ourselves. You see, the gift of ourselves is the greatest gift that we can give. And the giving of ourselves is not just take me out to the ball game and buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not the greatest gift that you can give to your son or your daughter. The greatest gift you give to your son or your daughter is yourself. That's what God did. In the fullness of time, he looked at the misery of humanity, their sinfulness, and their eternal damnation, because they were all under a death penalty. And so, through his great fatherly heart, He sent forth in the fullness of time his only begotten son, only one, to be sacrificed for you and for me, and to deliver a message on the Father's behalf, a message full of both grace and truth. Well, guess what, dads? That's what God calls us to do. He calls us 
to give his message of grace and truth to our kids and our grandchildren and to this generation. What message are you giving? You see, in Matthew chapter 23, it goes on to say, after the angel tells Joseph to call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from the sin, all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, say, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and she shall bring forth a son, and they, not Joseph, not Mary, but they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Who calls his name Emmanuel? All who believe in him and follow him. God with us. That wasn't the name that Joseph gave to Jesus. That's the name that we give to him when we realize the gift that the Father gave. Actually, his own presence in the form of his Son. I want to share something with you. Try to get your mind around this now. When Jesus ascended back to the Father, just before that, he gave a message to his disciples. He said, as the Father has sent me, now so send I you. Well, how did the Father send the Son? He sent the Son to deliver a message full of grace and truth to save the people from their sin, and one other thing, to restore the government of God in the earth. Those are the two things that Jesus was sent to do. To save the people from their sin and to restore the government of God in the earth. In other words, so that we would live in a sinless fashion in righteousness and in holiness without which no man would see the Lord. So, if Jesus' words are true, that as the Father sent him, even so he sends us, that means dads, grandfathers, And all of us, the greatest gift that we can give is the same gift that Jesus gave. Now, we can't save people from their sins because only Jesus can do that. But we can deliver the message of Yeshua that will save them from their sin. And we are also to deliver the message that restores the government of God, which is the walk of of righteousness, a righteous and holy life. So here's the question. Is that what you are doing? Have you been doing that? Would your children testify under oath before a court, under cross-examination, that that is what you have been doing for the past 10, 15, 20 years? Interesting. What would your wife say, my good friend? This is, this is our moment of truth. We're in the valley of decision. And just as Jesus came in the fullness of time at that time, so he's coming again in the fullness of time for those who are ready and have been prepared 
by the fathers who have prepared their sons and daughters in a walk of righteousness and holiness to meet the Lord. Have you been doing that? Are you beginning to see how broad this vision really is? Now, the purpose here is not to try to create guilt. We're all guilty before God when we don't do what he asks us to do. The question is, are we going to remain walking in that guilt and just wringing our hands and say, well, what can I do? Oh, woe is me. I I can't do this and I can't do that. No, it's time to gird up the, the loins of our minds and get with it. So when Jesus, the only begotten son of God, full of grace and truth, began to minister in the father's name, which he did, He said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So as he did that, did he get sweet, uh, loving kudos from everybody? No. Then why do you think you should get sweet, loving kudos from everybody, or even from your own kids, when you do what God asks you to do? And then, when you don't, are you giving up? You see, this is how you apply the Word of God. You don't just read it. You have to apply it. And you have to apply it in the context of the whole of the Bible. And that's what we're doing right now. It's not a game. This is real life. The coming of Jesus and the celebration of his birth at Christmas should engender something way beyond all of the hoopla that we generally bring to the table. It's more than Jesus being born as a baby in a manger. That's not why he was born. He was born for a purpose, just as your children are born for a purpose. Would they ever know it out of your mouth? Hmm. Would they? We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. One of the great things that we know about Joseph, the father of Jesus, the surrogate father of Jesus, is that when God spoke, he acted. He did what God said. So when God said, take unto you Mary, your wife, for that which is uh, conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, he didn't argue. 
I'm sure he was troubled in his mind. You would be, I would be, but he didn't argue. He agreed with God because God was his father. And so God honored him as a result of that. Just as God honored Mary when he sent the angel to her and said, Hail thou that are favored of women, you're going to bear the Christ child. She asked the question, How shall this be when I know not a man? And so the angel answered the simple question, Don't be concerned, fear not, Mary, because that which is conceived in you is of the Holy Spirit, not of a man. So, how did Mary handle that as a young teenager? Okay, then be it unto me according to your word. That's what she said. Can you see now why God chose this couple, Mary and Joseph? Teenagers or young young adults, can you see why they did, why he did? Because they listened to him as a father, agreed with him, and did what he said. He could trust them to do what he said. So then, we know that God told Joseph to name the child Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. So what did he do? He named him Jesus, Yeshua. God saves. Then, later on in a dream, he said, Now, uh, I want you to take this child and flee into Egypt because... Herod is seeking to kill him. So what did Joseph do? He took the child and his mother and fled into Egypt. Would you would you be arguing about that? Just think about this because Joseph listened to the father's voice. Then, after a couple of years in Egypt, after Herod had died, God came to him again and said, "Hey, uh Joseph, now you can go back uh, back home to Israel uh, because those are dead who are seeking his life. So what did Joseph do? He packed up his bags in Egypt and came back to Israel. Three times we have this uh, understanding that God spoke and Joseph did. God spoke and Joseph did. The same was true with Father Abraham. Father Abraham was asked, told by God to name his son of promise Isaac. He didn't tell Sarah to name her him Isaac. He told Abraham to name his, him Isaac, which means laughter. Now, Sarah had laughed in the tent when the angel said that she was going to bear a son at the age of 99 or whatever it was. So Isaac was named Laughter. Then again, we have a situation where you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, Jacob was the second born of his mother. Esau was the firstborn and had the right to the to the uh, birthright. But Esau bargained away his birthright because he didn't value it. Jacob was called the supplanter. That's what his name meant, the supplanter. However, Jacob 
got involved in a wrestling match with God at Bethel, called the House of God, Bethel. And as a result of that, his hip got thrown out of joint. There were no chiropractors to fix it. So he hobbled on his uh, hip out of joint for the rest of his life. But God said, from this day forward, remember, God is a father. He said, from this day forward, your name shall no longer be Jacob or Yaakov, but it shall be Israel, for you are a prince with God. The father named, renamed Jacob. Just as the father had renamed his grandfather, Abram, who was originally called Abram, and God changed his name to Abraham because he said, now I see that you're willing to obey my voice, raise your children according to my word, my will, and my ways, Therefore, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. I'm changing her name to Abraham. Who changed the name? God did as a father. Are you beginning to get the the pattern here? Fathers have the responsibility to name their children, but not just to name them, but then to follow up the name with the most important gift that the Father can give. And what is that? What is the most important gift that the Father can give? You know, we talk a lot about the uh, assault on our fa- on fatherhood in our generation. And indeed there is. As one actress said, down with patriarchy. In other words, down with fathers, down with men. Yep. On the other hand, in some sense, there's always been a rebellion against fatherhood and fathers. That's why there has been such a rebellion against God as father. Have you noticed that in the church today, pastor and people alike don't have much affection for the Old Testament? Why is that? Have you thought about it? It's a very simple reason. They don't like God as Father. They think Jesus is a gentler, uh, Jesus, Jesus gentle and mild, speaking with a lisp and a limp wrist. That's what they see Jesus as. He's portrayed that way oftentimes in paintings and in, uh, yeah, pictorially. But it's a false image. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. Jesus wasn't just gentle, Jesus meek and mild. He was a tough hombre when it was necessary to crusade for righteousness and holiness Just read about it in Matthew chapter 23. Jesus spoke as a father, but he spoke as a son who was deputized by his father to deliver a message to this planet full of grace and truth. Not just full of grace, 
full of grace and truth. The grace part is to enable us to do what the truth requires. So, a father here on this earth, you and me, we are to deliver the message of God, the Father, full of grace and truth. We deliver the truth without compromise, without mealy mouth, but then we also extend enabling power, encouragement, enabling power to carry out that which we expect on God's behalf. In other words, obedience. That's what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor, but it's more than that. It's the unmerited favor that we extend as fathers to get the job done that we expect. Are you listening? So, what is the greatest gift that we can give? That's the big question that we have to yet answer. And before we do, I want to make available the book, Hearts of the Fathers, again, Leaving a Legacy That Lasts. This book was written specifically for this moment in time. As the prophet Malachi said, that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, God will send forth the spirit of Elijah the prophet to call the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I strike the earth with a curse. Friends, we're struck with a curse because of fatherlessness. God considers fatherlessness a curse. You say, well, I am a father. I have three sons and two daughters. That doesn't make you a father from God's viewpoint. That makes you a sperm donor. So what does it mean to become a father from God's viewpoint? That, friends, involves the greatest gift that you can give. The book, Hearts of the Fathers, will inspire you. It will cast a vision. It will. It deals with this subject from so many, many different angles that no matter where you're coming from, no matter what your experiences in life have been, it will connect in your heart. It's a $23 book. Yours for $20 on our website. But if you want to get the special offer that we're making, two copies for only $33. That's a savings of... for the two books, $7 a piece. But we want to get the message out. We want you to be able to walk in the fullness of the message that God is bringing to his people in this unique moment of history on the near edge of his second coming. Remember, Malachi said that before, right before the great and terrible day of the Lord, that is the day when Jesus comes to Uh, display his wrath on the children of disobedience. Before that time, God, in his mercy as a father, is sending forth the spirit of Elijah the prophet to call the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of children to the fathers. That's what we're talking about right here today. Isn't it? Go to the website, saveus.org. SaveUs.org, give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, 
Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. If it's for one book, uh, it's going to be $7 for the two books combined if you get the special offer. All right. Now, we move from there to finally answer the question. We've been leading to that final answer, but now we're going to give it with absolute clarity. You can't miss it. The greatest gift you can give. It involves two things. One is your godly self. Not just your humanity as a man, but your godly self. So it's not about yourself, it's about your giving of yourself. This is not a time for men to be taking selfies. This is a time for men to be giving themselves. Yes, in love, but in truth. This is the time for men to be what God has called them to be as men, as fathers. To be righteous before the Lord. When God the Father sent Jesus, he sent him to save the world from their unrighteousness. And now is our time. Friends, men, it's time to give of ourselves, live up to the Father's name that he has given us. Give your children the name that God would have them to have, and now help them to fulfill their calling as you give yourself to them, just as Jesus did for you. Does that make sense? Again, get a copy of the book, Hearts of the Fathers. Tell other people about the program. Make the gift of that uh, by faith to them. And uh, we'll continue on as we prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour tomorrow. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.